they must be destroyed on sight. We've been talking for an hour and 25 minutes, and we yeah. recorded two podcasts. Yeah. That's pretty impressive for us. I guess we're just getting better at it. Right. Yeah, or or just, uh, you know, less concerned with format. We just yeah. sit and chat, you know? Like, yeah, no, it's just us hanging out. We're good. All right. Want to go for the third one? I'm ready if you are. I just opened a beer, so. All right, what are you drinking? Uh, Humalupa. Okay. Yeah, I, pretty much. Like lately, I just kind of drink my old favorites. It's uh, I don't do a lot of uh, super hardcore shit right now. Yeah. Partly for budgetary reasons, and partly just because well, the ordinary shit I can get all the time is really good. Yeah, so, uh, you live in you, know, Mich- like, you live in Michigan. It's, it's kind of like, oh my god, I have to drink another two hearted. What a terrible life I lead. Yeah, I, I feel bad for you and Ryan. You're both terribly, terribly, terribly downtrodden and beaten down uh, yeah in terms of beer certainly yeah you know. okay let's get this show on the road gang okay welcome <laughs> to they must be destroyed on site a movie podcast uh i am your host lee russell joined by my friend and co-host daniel harper say hello daniel how's it going lee it's great to be here once again once again it's been literally three or four months since we last talked um I think it's been like 25 years since we've talked, Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, your your beard is still as luscious as ever. Um, I haven't shaved since we last talked. Does that help? <laughs> uh, this time we're going to do something a little bit different uh, than the usual just straight up movie review sort of thing on the podcast. Uh, this time we're going to do a little bit of a list show because everyone loves lists uh, and they, they make for uh, an easy episode to do. And... Um, Basically, what we're going to be focusing on this time around is our top five horror movie recommendations. Now, we're not going to say these are necessarily the top five best horror movies ever or anything like that. We're essentially trying to recommend movies that we really love in the horror genre that, you know, maybe you don't know about. So maybe you'll go out and seek them out um, after we uh, talk about them for a little bit. And... um, some of these might be very obscure. Some of them might not necessarily fit 100% into horror or um, whatever, but uh, it's stuff we love and we want to talk about. So, uh, well, I, I really you you I don't watch that many horror movies. Uh, just just as a, a kind of uh, caveat to the audience, um, it's not that I don't like horror movies. It's just sort of like most horror movies don't scare me at all, and so I don't like get into the uh, the genre as a uh, uh, it's hard for me to suspend disbelief mm-hmm. um, for for a lot of horror movies. Uh, so I often find myself when you suggested we do this, I kind of said, "Well, let's think a little more broadly about horror and about like I tried to pick movies that gave me a sense of unease or disease, or uh, that that really kind of left something crawling underneath my skin, um, and that." sometimes doesn't necessarily mean uh that they're you wouldn't 
think that these are like slasher movies or you know yeah. classic universal horror movies. Um, also, you know, when you talk about making a list like this, you know, I mean, everybody kind of knows what the top horror movies of all time, you know. So, you know, I didn't put Psycho or Nosferatu or Porky's Two <laughs> on this. Um, you know, you know the canonical list of the greatest horror movies ever made. Um, I picked a couple that were like some of my favorite horror, like traditional horror movies. And then I picked three that were um, interesting in that other way. Um, okay. And so I'd like to see kind of what people think of this list. Um, I think it's not like any other horror movie list you're going to find. And uh, Lee and I haven't talked about what our movies are, but yeah. I, have a, I have a feeling that there are not, um, that, that we have two lists of five, and I don't think that um, there are any less than ten movies on this list. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's going to be, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be uh, any crossover from the sound of it because I definitely focus my list on what would be considered horror movies without a question. So, I think that's going to actually make for an interesting uh, episode because we'll get two, two lists that are probably vastly different in in some ways so i i think that will be good it'll give a lot of selections for people if they're interested so that's good um and the way uh we're going to do this we're going to go through the old traditional uh siskel and ebert route where they would do their top 10 movies of the year list and each one would give their number 10 and then the next guy would give the number 10 and so forth uh going down the list um and I will uh, give it over to you, Daniel, for your... I know you didn't number your list, uh, but your number five on your list. Sure. Well, um, there's... When you say greatest horror movies ever made or favorite horror movies, uh, there's there's one title that just... There's one name that just has to be on it. Um, and for me, that's George Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, and you ask me what the greatest horror movie ever made is, I say Night of the Living Dead. Um, and so that's that's my, you can call it my number five. I didn't number these. That that is my all time favorite horror movie. Um, the original nineteen sixty eight Night of the Living Dead. Uh, it could have been Dawn of the Dead, but Dawn of the Dead is a little bit more like satirical. Yeah. It's you know kind of what I like about that is less the direct horror nature of it. Um, but the original is straight up horror, um, not just from the zombies, which are amazing, but the uh, people locked in a room mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, the siege mentality and the um, inhumanity of man to man, which is kind of one of those recurring themes that you're going to see in my list. Okay. Um, is is not just the 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 thing that is scary is scary, but the way that people respond to it is even more frightening. Um, and Night of the Living Dead is is my favorite horror movie of all time, and so that's my that that's the first one I'm going to name. <laughs> all right, and that's good. Um, that that movie draws so much like i think eventually we'll have to do some sort of uh overview of uh that film uh whether a straight up review or maybe just something else but um i think uh i think that one works very well as a horror movie it draws from uh richard matheson's uh, i am legend uh, book quite a bit like a lot of what's in the pages of that book visually come out in the actual film, the siege idea, uh, in Matheson's book, uh, they're very much more vampires, plague vampires, but the zombies can be, you know, analogous with that. Uh, they can be, you know, they can be interchangeable. So, uh, yeah, very, very good movie. Uh, excellent choice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, my number five, that I'm going to start with here is uh, 
a little-known uh, anthology horror film. I'm a big fan of anthology horror films. In fact, I think I might do an episode somewhere down the line of anthology horror films. Um, it's called From Beyond the Grave from 1973, uh, directed by Kevin Connor. And this is from the Amicus production studio. They were sort of like the main competitor of uh, Hammer back in the day. Uh, they were very well known for doing uh, anthologies uh, as opposed to just straight up uh, feature films with one story. Um, all four segments in this film, and then it also has a wraparound segment that introduces all the segments, right? Um, they were all written by uh, a horror author, R. Chetwin Hayes, who's actually a really good short story horror author who I used to read a lot of his stuff as well as uh, a lot of other uh, uh, similar authors in like the pan book of horror and stuff like that. Um, it stars Peter Cushing. He's, he's in the wraparound segment as this creepy old antique shop dealer. Uh, everyone who comes into his place uh, is trying to buy something out of from him. And essentially the idea is that they take an item home and that item ends up spelling their doom because they tried to cheat him in some way uh, when they were buying the item, um, really great stories. Um, and it, for my money, I think it's the best made and the best looking of all the, uh, Amicus, uh, anthology films. It's got some really good camera work, uh, which usually you don't see in things like this because, um, anthology horror films, usually the episodes in each, each episode in the actual thing, it's more like a uh, little mini stage play or something like that that uses very few sets and whatever. So, but in in this case, it, it has a little bit of uh, cam camera trickery. There's one. There's a great opening shot uh, going around a table, following people in a seance, and some of the stories are just really generally creepy. There's this one really good one about like a door that uh, opens into a haunted room that's trapped somewhere outside of time and space. Uh, really, really good. And um, if you like horror anthology films, I, I highly recommend this one if you can find it. It's on DVD. Uh, I think MGM released it on DVD, so uh, you can look out in your budget bins for it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, I definitely... Uh, I'm going to use this as an excuse to sit down and watch more horror movies by watching <laughs> the five that you choose. So... Right uh, we should do that, <laughs> or I should do that rather. Um, my next uh, film, if you're ready, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually a documentary. Okay. Um, which again, uh, kind of a, a weird choice, I think, for for this. But um, this is a, a movie, I believe, from 1993, and it's uh, called Paradise Lost. Okay. Um, are you familiar with the film? I am familiar with it. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, a, a documentary done for HBO. Um, and it's, uh, is about the, uh, West Memphis three. If you Google West Memphis three, you'll get the kind of story about what happens here. But essentially these are three, uh, boys, three young, I mean, teenagers, like I think the oldest is 14 or 15, mm -hmm. uh, who are, uh, tried for this brutal murder of this small boy, uh, in this little podunk town, and it uh, turns out that they are uh, convicted and sent to prison basically because they like to listen to goth music and wear funny clothes. Yeah. Um, watching the film, you see the uh, – why I think this qualifies as a horror film is because, A, it's, it's completely real. Like, this is not 
I mean, this is this is as documentary as documentary comes. This was shot on videotape in the early '90s, you know, um, made for HBO, and it is a film in which you watch these completely ignorant, dumb fucks <laughs> just uh, railroad these kids, you know. And uh, today, I mean, they, they've been exonerated. I believe all three of them were, were eventually exonerated. Yeah. Um, but it took about 20 years, uh, which is horrifying, just yeah. horrifying that um, because they listened to music that people didn't understand, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, again, all real. And uh, uh, I, sorry, I, I think it qualifies definitely as a horror movie for me um, uh, to, to, to yeah. watch that. Um, happen. Um, there are two sequel films to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen the the uh, second sequel. I haven't seen part three, um, which I believe is kind of deals with like the project of them getting out of prison, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw the second one, which was uh, at one time the the first two were on YouTube. Um, I don't know that they still are, but um, uh, I saw the second one, and you literally had like a a crime scene investigator, um, you know, like. Uh, a professional from from like New York or something or, or Los Angeles who sees these kinds of crime scenes on a regular basis goes to the space where this murder was supposed to take place with the uh, evidence uh, log and basically just goes this wouldn't make sense at all like uh, you know like like it's it's a little like this doesn't this isn't even physically possible like yeah. there would be so much blood here. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, it washed away in the stream. The stream is like a little, like, trickle. Like, it's nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, you could not kill somebody here and, and do – like, it, it never made sense on the face of it. And, uh, again, um, uh, unconventional choice. You're going to get used to hearing unconventional choices from me for a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, Paradise Lost, I think it's a great, great film and, uh, you know, uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, no, I agree. The subject matter in that film's absolutely horrifying especially because considering uh it, it actually is a true tragic railroading as you said of these these young men um they had their young lives stripped away from them the prime of their lives is taken away uh because of some bigoted podunk cops who you know didn't like heavy metal you know it's like well, well in, a, in a community around them as yeah well. i mean exactly. it's not just the cops it's the it's this community that that made this happen you know yeah. And you got to think like there's some person that killed a small child who got away with it because they railroaded these kids. Mm. Although um, interestingly enough, I think one of the later films, see, I think it's the third film, they do finger somebody as the probable suspect for the killer, but there's so little evidence. There's almost a bit of a turnaround where it feels like the documentary is starting to try to railroad somebody else like the kids were actually railroaded right yeah no there's definitely uh i haven't seen the third one i know um in the second one and even at the end of the first one they they kind of they the the documentary the documentarians have an idea as to who they think did it Mm -hmm. and um the uh there's no doubt that this guy i think it's one of the one of the kids fathers um who who the documentarians think actually did it but uh the evidence was never quite as clear-cut as uh, i think people wanted it to be but uh one thing is for sure it certainly wasn't these kids (laughs) yeah um 
so anyway, yeah, check that out. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure you can find that in, in a number of different ways. Again, I watched it on YouTube several years ago. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it's still there, but uh, definitely worth seeking out. Um, Paradise Lost. Yeah. Uh, okay, my next film is uh, a little-known, uh, in my opinion, uh, gem from 2001, directed by Brad Anderson, uh, called Session 9. Uh, this is a film that... Um, essentially owes a lot to uh, uh, the Blair Witch Project in some ways because it's very subtle. Hello, Kitty. <laughs> yeah, I've got a cat that's uh, wanting attention. I apologize. That's all right. Um, but uh, it stars a uh, it stars David Caruso, uh, I guess, I think before he really... No, this is after I think he left um, NYPD Blue. This is after Jade, right? <laughs> yeah, after Jade too, I think. Yeah, where he kind of tanked his career for quite a while. But um, uh, it's a really moody, tense film about these asbestos, a team of asbestos cleaners who are um, tasked with cleaning out this old abandoned insane asylum. And essentially, the different guy it follows the different characters around as they discover old log recordings and things of that nature of some really disturbing stuff that happened in the actual place. And, um, you don't really see anything. Uh, it's very, um, atmospheric. It really is a slow build, but, uh, I thought it was one of the more effective, uh, it's not a found footage film, of course, but I think it's very effective in the sort of same way that the Blair Witch Project is, um, where what you don't see is much more scary than what you do see. And uh, essentially these guys start going crazy in, in this place, um, and they're tormented by apparently demonic forces, but it's you know nev not necessarily spelled out for you. And uh, just really effective, effective little horror film that I caught in uh, the early 2000s, and uh, one I, I still love, so... I uh, know that one. I haven't seen it, but I, I'll definitely put it on my list to to watch. I've heard I've heard really nice things about that one. Yeah. Um, next film, yeah. if you're ready. Um, you, you actually mentioned this in the last episode, which we recorded all so many so many years ago. <laughs> um, Happiness uh, from 1998. Uh, this is a, a film directed by Todd Solons, who uh, also directed uh, best known for Welcome to the Dollhouse okay. in '96. Um, but uh, has directed several, you know, art house films since then. Um, this one is, I think, his most disturbing. Um, this is a uh, kind of one of those late '90s independent films that follows a cast of characters. Mm -hmm. um, not really an anthology film, but but it um, it's sort of like that that kind of uh, shortcuts idea of it's got uh, several. Uh, a whole bunch of characters that it follows uh, who are all interconnected in some sort way. Sort of like Pulp Fiction or Shortcuts, yeah. Sort of Pulp Fiction, Shortcuts, Magnolia, you know, that sort of yeah. idea. Um, and so you have these kind of uh, very various characters who are all um, suffering in some way. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of whom is a, a young boy learning to masturbate for the first time. <laughs> uh, one of whom is a uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I think what is one of his, uh, the now late Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. who, and what I think is one of his great performances as a um, uh, prank caller, he, he calls women and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, assaults them verbally over the telephone. Oh, yeah. Um, 
You've got uh, John Lovitz in a small role, <laughs> um, actually. And uh, what really stuck with me more than anything else was uh, Dylan Baker, who is kind of one of those guys that you, if you followed indie cinema in the late 90s, as I did in the early 2000s, mm. you've probably seen his face. Um, he was one of the people killed and wrote to Perdition a few years later. Okay. Um, He's been in some stuff. Um, he is, uh, this is really for me the key role for him. Uh, he plays a uh, man with a young boy. The young boy learning to masturbate, actually. Um, he uh, is that boy's father. And in an early scene, you find him buying some copies of Boy's Life, sticking them in his jacket, going to his car in the uh, middle of a parking lot where nobody can find him and furiously masturbating on the pictures. Um, he is a pedophile. Um, and the, uh, what happens in this film is, uh, definitely, uh, it's played as the jet blackest of jet blackest comedy. Oh yeah. Um, while at the same time being absolutely, um, sells the reality of what it would really be like if your dad liked little boys better than anything you could um, imagine. Hmm. Um, a truly amazing film that is one of the hardest things to watch. I can, uh, you know, I wouldn't even recommend this film. <laughs> you know, um, it's not a film you recommend. It's a film that, uh, if what I've said sounds at all um, tolerable to you, you should, uh, you should see it. Um, this is uh, probably one you can find in the bargain bins at uh, various places. I'm sure Amazon has it for cheap these days. Um, this is a little movie that is uh, was fairly well known at the time um, for the for the obviously for the content because um, it's uh, it is kind of played as a jet black comedy, but um, very dark, very disturbing, and uh, has gotten under my skin in a way that very few films I've seen since then have huh. I, I have a feeling you won't see it on like one of those best of phil seymour hoffman packs at kmart or something like yeah, that. yeah pro probably not no. yeah um although i mean it really is one of his best roles yeah um, interesting yeah no, de definitely worth uh, worth seeing yeah i'll definitely watch that i mean that subject matter is uh very uncomfortable but i i did watch uh kevin bacon in the woodsman a few years back which was also some of the sort of the same subject matter so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to give that a look. Oh, you can watch it on Google Play for two ninety nine. Oh, actually. there you go. Um, yeah, sorry, I was just Googling it to see if it was, uh, see how much it would actually cost you to own it. Hmm. But, yeah, you can watch it on a couple of different services for 3 or $4. Right on. So. Okay, uh, we'll get to my next one now. Um, this is from 1987, Near Dark directed by Catherine Bigelow before she really hit it big. Um, uh, With Strange Days. Strange Days. <laughs> yep, no, Strange Days was a good film for her. Uh, I, I love Strange Days. It's one of my favorite films. But she so. also directed Point Break. Uh, yes. And then, of course, she went on to do The Hurt Locker and... Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty, yeah, which I think are both pretty damn good. Um but uh, this is uh, her vampire film from the 80s, in my opinion, the classic, essential 80s vampire film. Uh, as much as I like Lost Boys, this one blows it out of the water. Uh, oh, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. 
because this is essentially um, one of the best and more original modern takes on the vampire story. Uh, it's not sexy, it's not romantic, it's not exciting. It's about this uh, young country guy who falls for a female vampire, and she falls for him, and she tries to incorporate him into her family, which is essentially a group of traveling vagabonds, uh, sort of uh, the patriarch being Lance Hendrickson as this old cagey vampire who's been around since, like, Confederate Army days, um, at the very least. And uh, it essentially depicts the vampire life as a life devoid of glamour and fun, uh, just filthy nomadic existence. Uh, they're on the dredges of society, uh, living off... They, they they drive around in a van that's, like, blacked up with, uh, you know, cardboard and... Uh... Uh, aluminum foil, essentially. Mm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Please continue. No, just just trying to sell that. I love that little detail that they 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 have to black out their their existence. Yeah, and it's it's just uh, it's got a bunch bunch of great performances. A really nice crazy performance from uh, 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 Bill Paxton uh, as this basically nutcase vampire. Um, there's this one of the best classic 80s horror movie scenes ever where they walk in where the family walks into this little podunk bar and just wipes them all out um really really good uh honestly just just a i think a fantastic vampire film it does not glamorize the idea of vampirism it it's essentially they're essentially parasites living off the garbage of the society they live in and um very, very, very good. Uh, I, I challenge any uh, of these young girls who just finished watching Twilight or whatever to watch the vampires in this film and see if you still are on Team Jacob or whatever. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this uh, film, or not really about the film, but the marketing of the film is after uh, Twilight was released, like when the Twilight phenomenon was really huge, mm-hmm. um, they did a like a, essentially a new DVD cover that made it look like a, a Twilight ripoff. <laughs> um, and I was just, I remember looking at it and just going, I get, I know, I know there was a marketer, I know there was some graphic designer who got paid to do this, and I'm sure it sold a bunch of copies. But wow, that's uh, that's gonna be an that's an interesting thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, I as an aside, I don't rip on the Twilight stuff as much as some people do. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, think about the shit that you watched when you were 12 years oh, old. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, if it gets people interested in these things and then they move on to things like Near Dark, I mean, no complaints there. Um, you know, I, I think there will be a lot of uh, people, particularly young women, in the coming, you know, 10 or 15 years who will say, I saw Twilight when I was 10 or whatever, and then I became a filmmaker. Yeah. Because, you know, um, uh, anyway, that that's kind of an aside uh, to an aside in an episode that we don't really need to do asides, but that's my that's my feeling on that. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't stay on topic ever. Lee, Lee just lets me ramble now. Yeah, it makes for, it makes for good padding. Yeah. All right. Um, no, Near Dark. I've seen Near Dark. Near Dark is a great film. Yeah. Um, it is absolutely worth your time. If you haven't seen that, um, it's it's astonishingly good. 
Um, my next film, another uh, that uh, my my other film that is sort of the one of the classic uh, horror movies, and this is uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Ooh, yeah. Uh, from nineteen seventy eight. Uh, kind of the the big star making performance by Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, who thought a William Shatner mask could be uh, so yeah. uh, creepy? Um, if you haven't seen this, uh, forget the sequels, forget all the the, the stuff that comes after. Um, the original Halloween is truly, truly remarkable, um, and uh, one of the great uh, films of its genre. One of the originators of that slasher genre. Um, we kind of talked about the town that dreaded sundown, mm-hmm. um, and then this one is you know came out just a couple years later and really solidified that genre into something that um, that would stick around um, till today, really. Yeah. Um, uh, Truly, I mean, what can I say about Halloween? You know, and that's kind of the problem with these lists is, you know, you pick, well, what's the greatest horror movie ever made? Well, Halloween. And then what do you say about it? Except, yeah, you need to go watch that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, because I could, I could like, if, if I felt like I could, I could honestly start going into a full review of that film right now, to start talking about the stuff I love on that film. It's just such a great film. Yeah, I know. So, so much, so much great stuff in it. Um, why don't I mean? Why don't you just take a minute and just say like what your favorite thing about Halloween is? Um, I think just the idea, the the ideas that Carpenter and uh, what was his wife at the time, uh, Ella Windy Hill, something something along Annie Hill and something Deborah Hill, Deborah Hill. Um, the, the just the the writing and the ideas they put into such a simple concept and the way they constructed the film um it has that sort of same um idea behind it that uh toby hooper's uh texas chainsaw massacre did where it makes you think you see more than you actually do like you think it's more bloody and violent than it actually is but the killings are very realistic and brutal at the same time much like the town the dreaded sundown like the strangulation in the car uh and then then the stabbing and then the strangulation with the telephone cord um both very brutal silent desperate moments of death that are just like very very effective and the other real standout is just um how you'll have close-ups of the characters and then in the background you'll see michael myers walk across a doorway look at them and then keep walking and he it's like at that point you're like oh fuck they're dead <laughs> they're so dead yeah they they don't see them they don't see it coming so yeah no it's it's a it's a truly phenomenal film um and uh just uh yeah no yeah. I, I i i do really really love it um but uh yeah that's why i picked it because yeah. <laughs> you know you asked me what are the greatest horror movies ever made and i say well not a living dead and halloween had to be on that list um no question so uh that's it Okay, um, my next selection is also a slasher film. Um, this is one of the few ones that came after Halloween that I think really deserves some respect, to, to deserves to be watched. Um, it's called Just Before Dawn from 1981, directed by Jeff Lieberman. Um, it's, uh, what, what I wrote in my original review is like, it's it's not really writing a new chapter in the book on slasher films. It just adds a paragraph or two, essentially. Um, but it's one of the best copycat sort of slasher films in the woods kind of thing, killing teenagers that you're likely to see out of the 80s. Uh, it's very well made. It's got a very, very creepy score. Um, 
it's got Jack Lemmon's kid in one of his few uh, roles. <laughs> um, <laughs> he he didn't quite have his dad's talent. Let's put it that way. Um, sure. But uh, there's this, like I said, the score is really amazing. It's very subtle but very creepy. It's got George Hamilton in here doing his, or no, not George Hamilton. Yeah, actually, I think it is George Hamilton. Um. Big, uh, character actor everyone's familiar with anyway, uh, doing his uh, sort of his regular kind of really good performance that he pretty much put in all of his... Uh, George Kennedy, actually, I think it is. Uh, anyway, um, there's this really great twist regarding the killer. Um, there's this really impressive stalk and kill scene that creeps me out every time I see it because it implies so much more than what you actually see and the implications are incredibly disturbing as to the eventual fate of this victim. Um, and there's also a bit of a twist on the final girl formula that you obviously, that you usually see in these films, a real, uh, almost a, a feminist empowerment kind of thing where the male uh, counterpart hero essentially becomes emasculated and the female almost uh, takes over that role um, in the way that she kills one of the uh, kills the killer. Um, one of the more unique ways of offing a, a killer in one of these movies that I've ever seen, and it's it's really w well worth uh, seeing just for some of those moments. So, yeah, I'll I'll have to check that out definitely. Hmm. Um. All right, and uh, I guess we're on to our, our number one now. Yeah. I think we're, that's it. All right. Um, another, uh, you know, you asked me to make a list of five horror movies, and I gave you two documentaries. So mm -hmm. that shows you where my head is. Um, this is one of my personal all-time favorite films. It's probably my all-time favorite documentary. I watch it and am disturbed by it uh, continually. Uh, you asked me what is uh, the most terrifying thing you know, you, you give me slasher movies, I give you the Holocaust. Mm. Um, my uh, my pick here is a movie from uh, 1999 uh, called Mr. Death, The Rise and Fall of Fred A. Leuchter Jr. Okay. Um, have you seen this film? I haven't seen it. Um, this is a film. Fred A. Leuchter Jr. is a uh, an engineer, a quiet man, um, guy from Boston, who... Uh, came to uh, be known as a guy who could build um, execution equipment. Okay. Um, essentially, he uh, was a freelancer. He was asked by the state of Massachusetts to help them uh, fix a electric chair or something. And he comes in and he looks at it as an engineering problem, and he solves the engineering problem. <laughs> and um, suddenly, you know, people ask him, oh, well, if you can build an electric chair, can you build a lethal injection machine? <laughs> And he says, well, okay, um, it really doesn't have anything to do with that. But so he builds, he, he has this little, uh, 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 you know, sideline business in uh, building and maintaining uh, uh, death machines, essentially. Uh, and the first kind of third of the film is about that. And about a third of the way in, he is contacted by a man named Ernst Zundel, who is a... Uh, a big guy, a Holocaust denier in Germany um, or Austria, and is asked to go to uh, the death camps and determine if they could have been used to kill people huh. using uh, this 
a huge amount of knowledge that Friday Lictor has about uh, uh, injection devices or, you know, lethal injection devices and that sort of thing. Um, Fredo Lictor Jr. knows nothing about forensic science and knows nothing about uh, any of this stuff. He is uh, a small little man who got caught up in this thing and uh, the report that he generated, uh, which uh, says conclusively proves that the Holocaust did not happen, that people were not killed in these uh, chambers, uh, has been debunked over and over and over and over again, but is still um, one of the like founding documents of the modern Holocaust denial yeah. movement. Um, I have dealt with some of these people on the internet in my life. Um, these are some of the most horrifying people that you would ever uh, hope to yeah. never meet anywhere. Um, this is... Uh, and uh, Leuchter himself, um, just... This uh, little mousy guy, um, very ignorant, very, uh, you know, thought he was doing the right thing, thought he was using technical knowledge and didn't know enough to know that he would, had his head up his ass. <laughs> and um, the people who used him and, and put him on the lecture circuit, now he's a celebrity in Holocaust denial circuit. Um, uh, you know, he go, I don't know if he's even still alive, but he, you know, they, they show him going to like conventions, effect, you know, conferences and, and getting paid speaker fees and that sort of thing. Oh, man. Um, this is, uh, uh, you know, you, the history channel has kind of been known as the, you know, the Hitler channel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you see a lot of documentaries about this sort of thing. In fact, I was watching one just the other night, and uh, this is the one that really stands out because it, it doesn't do the talking head thing. It doesn't do – this is an Errol Morris film. Um, and uh, if you know the name Errol Morris, you know the kind of uh, tone and mood that this is going to, to, to hit. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite films, and uh, this is a film that I will watch – even just scenes from late at night and uh just uh i have a hard time going to sleep afterwards i can um, imagine this just what, what you're describing is making me cringe like yeah no um it's uh it's absolutely worth seeing um i i would recommend it to anyone i'll definitely watch uh, that yeah yeah no this is this is uh it's it's a you know not a fun experience but it is uh, I think I think this is a film that everyone should see to see what this to see how uh, how this stuff gets created. Yeah, how this sort of mindset. Right, um, because this goes a lot deeper than just Holocaust denial. Yeah, and um, but the the same kinds of techniques and the same kinds of things. Well, but, yeah, you see that um, you see that applied with like religious apologists and other 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 facets of society as well. The same sort of sort of same sort of base dishonesty and absolutely yeah. absolutely and um again um not a traditional horror film by any stretch of the imagination but um i don't think you will find a a film that will send chills up your spine more than uh, mr death the rise and fall of fred a Lutcher jr uh, right on i don't think my one's going to quite live up to that <laughs> <laughs> it's Shaun of the dead isn't it no, <laughs> Uh, no, my final one is um, one of the films from the Peter, uh, uh, from the Christopher Lee uh, Dracula cycle from Hammer Films. Uh, this is Taste the Blood of Dracula from 1970, uh, directed by Peter Sasty. 
for for my money, first off, uh, the best title for a horror movie ever: "Taste the Blood of Dracula." I just love it. It's it's kind of it's kind of schlocky and sensational, uh, but I I think it's really catchy. Um, that that's even better than the town that dreaded sundown. Yeah, I, I think like, so. Yeah, um, and that's a hard one to beat. Mm, like, you know. Anyway, please continue. Uh, but for 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 my money, this is the best uh, out of the uh, out of the Dracula films that um, that uh, Christopher Lee starred in. Um, and the the ironic thing is that uh, he originally was not even going to do the film. Um, he basically got uh, either guilted or bullied back into putting on the cape because at that point he had um, grown very, very tired of the role, hated the scripts. Um, and that's why, honestly, in a lot of the films, you don't see him saying too many lines because he would not say them. <laughs> he was like, I'm not, I'm not reading this shit. Um but this is a really good one. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good writing in this film. There's not a lot of the hokey, crappy effects that popped up in some of the films in this series. There's no like um, uh, rubber bats flying very, very slowly across the screen with a string <laughs> on them. You know, um, on a fishing pole. Right? Yeah, pretty much. And but it's really well acted. And the best thing about this is that in the very the very heart of the film is a, a critique of Victorian-aged uh, hypocrisy uh, between the generations where uh, the older uh, parents are, you know, respectable about town. Uh, they put on this big show of being very moral and very pure, but they're all actually a pack of thrill-seekers who uh, delve into Satanism and other things to try to get some sort of excitement and thrill out of things, right? But at the same time, they chastise their children for just having their basic, you know, human emotions of uh, falling in love and wanting to date and things of that nature. And essentially, their their seek for their their thrill seeking leads them to uh, connecting with a disciple of the now long dead Dracula. And he gets, he sort of suckers them into helping him resurrect Dracula. Uh, they are, there is a little bit of humanity in these people, even though they're doing these horrible things and they become shocked of, at what they had done. They kill the uh, disciple of Dracula and then Dracula starts taking out revenge on all of these guys and their families for what they did. So, um, like again, Christopher Lee hardly says anything, but he gives one of his best performances. Like Christopher Lee, uh, Peter Cushing, these were two seasoned actors who could uh, carry an entire film without saying hardly anything. They they had the good facial expressions and stuff, where they could just physically act and not in an action movie sort of way either. Um, so really, really good film. If, if you want to start, if you want to do the hammer, uh, Dracula films and you'd never watched one before, watch the first one, then watch this one and then start delving into the other ones. But, um, uh, a very good, good film and maybe a bit obscure these days to maybe some people listening. So that's why I picked it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, uh, I'd love to see, uh, four of the uh, films that you named. I haven't seen. So I will, uh, try to dig those up uh, as it goes yeah cool i'm definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna watch uh that documentary i'm gonna watch uh happiness for sure um so yeah um 
I guess uh, I'd say to the people out there uh, listening to this, if you have suggestions, uh, please mail them in, hoaglyreviews at uh, gmail.com, um, or leave comments on the YouTube version of this under the YouTube video. Um, we're probably going to do more episodes like this in the future. Uh, oh, yeah, this was fun. Yeah. We should definitely do more of these. Definitely. And um, uh, very, very good selections. I, I liked how our lists were basically vastly different in a lot of ways. I, uh, I, I like that we approached it from just two completely different directions. Yeah, yeah. Um, always fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, what would you... I like? was going to put My Little Pony Friendship is Mag- Magic on this, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have any bronies uh, listening to this. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but um, so where can people find you, Daniel, and what else do you do on the internet? Um, I basically just spend all my time finishing up my, uh, college classwork right now because that's, uh, what I do. But, uh, I also do a podcast with my wife, uh, that talks all about Doctor Who that, uh, is, uh, very much a kind of horror science fiction science fantasy show. Mm -hmm. And so if you're interested in horror movies and especially in like 70s horror, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the 70s Doctor Who kind of has the uh, the hammer horror kind of stuff going on, and we're going to start covering more of those episodes as time goes on. Mm-hmm. But you can find us at Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. If you just Google that, you should find us uh, on Facebook and iTunes. Um, or you can go to our website at Oi Spaceman. That's O-I Spaceman, no spaces or anything, dot libsyn.com. Right on. And uh, that's probably the best way to, to, to find me there, or my Twitter is Daniel E. Harper. Okay, and uh, you can find me, Lee Russell, on Twitter, uh, Hoagly Reviews, um, hoaglyreviews at gmail.com, of course, uh, if you want to send in any sort of comments, hate mail, whatever, threats of violence. Um, you can find me, of course, if you're watching this on the uh, YouTube, if, if you, I'll eventually get a hosting service up and running here, so you might be getting this from there, but if you're watching this on YouTube, you can click right on my name, Lee Russell and see my beer and booze reviews. And, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to go out with a song. This time I'm picking one from the soundtrack of one of the movies on my list, uh, Near Dark, and I'm going to be picking Fever by The Cramps, a uh, cover of the original song Fever, which is really good. plays during that bar scene I was talking about uh, that is a real standout scene in the movie. So, um Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for joining me, Daniel. And Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we'll see you all guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Sunlights up the daytime. Ooh.